APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631 261 6420. That's 631 261 6420. Auto Excellence. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No. I mean, I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York, 631 900 Dump. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, pride, performance, and partnerships. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage. Ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut, Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles. Everybody, welcome to Wrestling Remembered. I'm your host and moderator, Joe. What a day, Lowry! And this week, we're going to be taking a look back at the good old days of professional wrestling and the evolution of the 
infamous cage matches. And of course, we have our weekly panels of guests. Where did he go? Is he here? Out of the stage. There he is. Oh, you disappeared <laughs> off there for a second. Now, uh, my panel of experts. First up, my uh, my brother from another mother, as he likes to call me. He is the player, Benny Scala. Welcome, Benny. Straight out of player, though. There you go, baby. And, of course, we have the president of Thursday nights, the incomparable Mr. Phil DeCesare. The raging yin to your soothing yang. Welcome, everybody. All right. And of course, we have the host and moderator of wrestling's newest and hottest online game show, The 30. You can see that exclusively right here on Monty and the Pharaoh's YouTube channel on Thursday nights, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Let's give it up for ESO Bruce. What's happening, Bruce? What's going on, guys? What's going on? So uh, I guess Benny's tricks backfired last night because I think he was trying to go after uh, after yours or Dan's microphone, but he s- somehow got mine. I don't know. Oh, what was yeah. that. Yeah. He fell miserably. Unbelievable. Went to the well one too many times, I guess. <laughs> I right? That's what they Turning say. into an enhancement talent. <laughs> so um, Mike Monty was going to join us, but he actually got called aside for something. Um, but we're going to cover real briefly before we get into our uh, steel cage segment. As you all know, uh, it started to make the rounds uh, late this morning, um, which is shocking because it actually happened yesterday. But Billy Jack Haynes, a former wrestler, WWE superstar as well, uh, Portland, Oregon native, and of course, NWA, Florida wrestling, all that stuff. Well, reports are coming out. We're going to try and give you the latest as to what's going on. Obviously, a tragedy took place. This is what we do know right now. A former pro wrestler, um, Billy Jack Haynes, he still has not been named um, as a suspect or anything. As a matter of fact, uh, the person that was found on the scene, which is supposedly his wife, uh, was found deceased. She still has not been named. But these are really the only basic information we have right now, the latest um, a shelter and order was in place uh, yesterday morning in this Portland neighborhood. A tactical team responded. They had a two-hour standoff. And uh, what happened was, is I don't know if there was a confrontation. D- uh, reports are var- varying with the news media outlets in Portland. And what happened was, is they actually ended up taking him into custody, the suspect. Um, and we're still at this hour awaiting further information from the authorities as to what took place. Now, I do know that some people are confirming that it is Billy Jack Haynes that um, uh, ended his wife's life via a gunshot wound. We're still not getting the official word from police or uh, investigators that are handling the story. We've been scouring. I actually made a call to the Portland Police Department earlier today. They still have nothing to comment on it. Not even a presser was available at this time. Uh, Portland, I do believe, is from the East Coast three hours behind, of course, two from where I am in Iowa. So who knows? There could be something between now and the end of the night. But guys, um, here we are again. Another Friday. I'll call it a news dump. It happened yesterday. We're finally getting it now. Let's go around the horn. What are your thoughts, Benny? What do you think? I mean, what do you say? You got somebody dead and somebody in jail. And like you said, the thing that really perplexes me is is the veil of secrecy because i watched the portland news before i got on the show and they do not mention his name they just say that somebody mentioned that a wrestler lived in the house so what you know why all the secrecy i don't get that yeah i I don't get it either uh phil what are your what are your thoughts on this well you know i got a i got a text this morning at the gym from uh, an old colleague of mine from boston wrestling charlie wilson sent that and at first i thought you know it might have been a joke because i was well maybe not a joke but something erroneous and i i started looking around and 
could find very little. And I texted Monty and Jimmy and, uh, they came back and confirmed, uh, that was the case. And, uh, from there, I, uh, other things came out. I know Hannibal had something too, and Hannibal is really a close friend of his. So he seems like one of the more credible sources right now when it comes to this, um, you know, Billy Jack is certainly, we could characterize him as beleaguered over the years. Certainly he's had his brushes with the law. The whole kids on the track controversy from years ago certainly uh, might have a little more merit now. So, and I and he, I think he self-admitted that he was once involved in some drug trading and that sort of thing too. So a very right. complex man. And, uh, you know, um, and of course, you know, we don't want to broach the, the, the intimate aspects of the situation. His wife was a little bit older than he was and in poor health, basically. And uh, one has to wonder if that didn't factor into things too. You know, you hear terms like mercy killing and that sort of thing. But I know it's too early to tell. We did see a picture on one of the websites. And I don't know if it's an act, you know, in this day and age, I don't know if this is an accurate picture. But a man who certainly looked like Billy Jack looked like he was apprehended by some by some uh, officers. You know, we we still have no confirmation. So it's right. Kind of, you know, I've always uh, my journalistic integrity, you know, always go to the source. And if I can't get that source right now, it's just hearsay. But you know, with uh, interviews taking place between the neighbors and so forth. I mean, and obviously his address, his home is his home and so forth. Uh, Bruce, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Uh, it's, a, it's just a sad story as, as it's developing. And uh, you, Joe, you're the one who broke it to me this morning when I, when I, when I got up. And uh, sure. then again, I, right away, like everybody else, went and tried to find some information on it. And there really wasn't much. I think I had found one or two articles just mentioning it. And right. it was very... Uh, very everything was very very vague um you know right now i'm gonna respect their privacy but as we know you know we know his wife was very ill we know he was having some other issues um right so you know it's a sad situation and you know i'm gonna wait to hear what else comes out in the in the news over the next couple of days i am a little yeah. surprised how quiet it is though yeah it's it's it's, just, it's strange to me too when uh you know they're calling it a murder and so forth and there's not even a press conference set up yet. Like that could change at any moment. But as of now, this uh, real quickly, shout out to the chat. Thank you everybody for joining us live. And if you're watching on the replay as well, the chat is lighting up and a couple of things here. Now, some people are asking, when did this take place? I do believe it happened at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, Portland time, because it did make uh, the afternoon news out there and so forth. There was a two hour standoff. Um, I'm not sure the the details are very sketchy on it, whether or not police confronted them at the home. They do know a tactical team was called in. Uh, you don't do that for just anybody. So there was some type of confrontation and he was taken, uh, into custody for who we think is Billy Jack Haynes, the former pro wrestler, um, was taken. Did you you guys also notice that none of the other like dirt sheets really picked up on it? It was so yeah. it's really like uh, that's why I was a little thrown because some of the you know the major wrestling news sites that I would sure. expect uh, to have s- at least a blurb about it didn't right. even haven't even acknowledged it yet. Very well, very hush hush. Well, and that's another thing. We got the Friday night news dump, and the, the thing the problem with that is we yesterday was a huge wrestling news. Well, I should say last night was a very very big night for the WWE with that insane presser. Uh, where The Rock is now aligned with Roman Reigns and Cody got to choose Roman Reigns. And, you know, that's a whole different story in itself. That pretty much blew the inter- internet up last night. So anything to do outside of that really didn't make um, headlines or anything. So I was shocked, too, because I did get the text message from Mike telling me what happened. 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't see anything on that. And I actually had to go to the Portland news websites just to get some type of information on this. And the one thing I kept experiencing over and over was they are not mentioning who the deceased is and who they took into custody, just that somebody was taken into custody. Um, Portland police does have a Facebook page as well as their own little web thing where they give you up to the date hours that has not been updated since about, I think eight o'clock Portland time last night where the suspect was, uh, detained. They're not even a call. They're not calling it an arrest per se, but detained. But we all know that usually means that yeah, the suspect was arrested, but, um, Monty and the Farrell, obviously Billy Jack was a guest on their show, uh, sometimes back, um, you know, there's a lot of speculation on his mental health, um, wh whether it's years of, of abuse, uh, whether it's, um, you know, the demons inside or steroids or wrestling and all that stuff. Real quickly, um, is this behavior starting to just make it um, more acceptable now with the mental health status? I mean, how, how do we how do we approach this now? Because the headline reads former pro wrestler kills wife. OK automatically our minds go to what? Chris Benoit, right? Um, this is a totally different situation. Phil, you had touched upon it. Um, unofficially, we can say that there was dementia involved, whether it, um, a mercy killing, as you did say, you commented on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, is this a little more acceptable as opposed to 20 years ago with the Benoit situation? Or, I mean, what, what, how, do we, how do we feel about this now? Well, I think we have really a... a um just uh, an overwhelming number of people now who are suffering from this and in, in not only in their elder years, but even earlier now. And uh, I know more states have been warming to this idea. And I know Canada has actually pretty much embraced this idea of euthanasia, people ending, people approaching end of life and making that choice sure. themselves or empowering someone else in their family to do so. So we don't know yet in terms of you know, if there were any contracts or agreements or that sort of thing anyway in place, we don't know the degree of of, um, of illness, uh, particularly with his wife. And it really is believed to be his wife who was uh, the victim here. So, sure. again, this could be almost a, a, a like a precedent setting case, potentially, if, you know, granted the means by which the the um, the death occurred, you know, through gunshot is viewed as a violent sort of means, you know, sure. not one we would think of in terms of a, a mercy killing sort of thing. But, right. you know, uh, I can't see, I really just can't see right now that uh, he gets charged with anything uh, substantial, but, you know, just right. again, based upon the little I know right now. Right. Now, uh, Benny, real quick, do you think, um, Mental health, uh, the situation in Portland is different than throughout the U.S. I know Portland's been on the map ever since the riots, COVID and all that stuff. They've been on the news, not for very good things. I hate to say that, but yeah. uh, drugs are very, very, I think it's um, almost like a drug-free city now or some something crazy like that. I mean, Benny, you think a lot of these factor into this? Well, you got to go back to, isn't Portland, wasn't Portland the home of uh, Jack Kevorkian? You know, it might have been. I believe you know, it was. So, I mean, it, that that kind of. I, I mean, feel like Detroit was where he practiced that. We're coming from the uh, yeah. the Pacific Northwest. You have a, a seventy, I think he's seventy year old wrestler who obviously sure. took a lot of bumps, and you yeah. know he's not quite right mentally. And yeah. you have, and you know, a, 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 his wife was at least. I'm not even sure if it was his wife or not, but I mean, definitely, you know, live in companion. Uh, yeah. who was at least 10 years older than him, who had dementia. Yeah. So you have a woman with dementia, you have, which, um, you know, all, by all accounts, 
she was a bit difficult. And you have him who, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think the guy was all there. And, uh, you know, mainly because of uh, probably all the bumps he took. Just sure. a recipe for disaster. Right, right. Uh, Bruce, what do you think? What do you, uh, mental health status, is this more acceptable now? Are we going to see more of this down the line with former pro wrestlers who are apparently suffering from CTE, which in turn can lead to dementia-type situations? Or what do you think about this? Well, well I, I hope not because well, mental health issues are, are – unfortunately, nowadays, all mental health issues seem to be – um, a pill away from being cured, and I, I'm always a little worried and skeptical about uh, about about things. So, you know, mental health is a very very touchy subject nowadays in in this country. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, Jack Kevorkian, and that was a uh, you know his time where he kept getting arrested with with those uh, the assisted suicides. I right. I, I remember that, and uh, you know, let's. You know, if that's the case, if he had, if um, if, if his he and his wife had an agreement or something along those lines, you know, right. he he did he may have honored her in his own way. I mean, I don't know. Just it, the whole thing is very good point. Bruce. They might have had some kind of an agreement. Like, yeah. if I get this far, I don't yeah. want to live anymore. I mean, you never know. Yeah. My my only um, hesitation with all this is that was there possibly a uh, some type of legal document on the premises that this could be carried out. I mean, it's hypothetical at this point, but I'm still trying to wrap my hands around that. This murder is well over 24 hours old and there has not been nobody named yet. And they're not even saying it along the lines where we can't release the names until next of kin has been notified. They're not even saying that, which is usually the normal recourse in a murder homicide type investigation. Yeah. Um, once the next of kin is notified, then it's, I think the legalities of it all, you can say the person's name, um, affiliation to the deceased or the suspect and, you know, vice versa. Right now, we don't know what hands down by the police, by the investigation team, if this is indeed Billy Jack Haynes. All points are leading to that. It's his home. It's his address. Neighbors have confirmed it. But again, when you look at the legal standpoint of this, it's very tricky when you have to report something like this. Um, but nonetheless, in case everybody's just joining us, I know we have a big audience tonight. This is the latest from Portland. It's a developing story. It's no longer breaking news since it's over 24 hours old. Former pro wrestler, um, I'll say Billy Jack Haynes. That's the picture that's there. That is what everybody is saying it is. It's not been confirmed. Um, there was a situation in his home yesterday morning. A shelter and order was put in place. A tactical team did respond uh, after a two-hour standoff. They were able to uh, reach the location inside the house. They did find one person deceased, and they did take the suspect into custody. And we are still awaiting further information from the authorities. So that's really the latest as to what's going on with this. I do have a website up from Portland PD waiting for any updates. If they happen now, great. Um, but nonetheless, I don't want to hijack the entire show. This is Wrestling Remembered. And unfortunately, we had to go with breaking news to kick off the show. But uh, all right, what do you guys, you guys want to talk steel cage matches or what? Yeah, sure. I, I, want, to say, I want to say news. one quick thing before right, we right start. Ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, we do that. We've been doing the, uh, the true crime show on Monday night. Yeah. And I just realized that out of six episodes, so tomorrow and then Monday will be episode number seven. Sure. So uh, we've already had Sonny as one of the subjects and we've had Vince McMahon as yeah. one. And yeah. on Monday night, we're going to have Sam Shepard. Now he really wasn't a wrestler, 
he went. He went up being a wrestler at the end sure. of his life very briefly. Yeah, but yeah. fifty you know, matches. And, I mean, yeah. quite honestly, I see this one being a, a future episode. So, I oh mean, sure. Oh, like half of our shows are going to be about professional wrestlers. I I hope that's not a precedent. Yeah, I think I think more will be revealed. I mean, like it, it is Friday. I don't know what will transpire, but like I said, anything that comes out of this developing story, I'll be quick to pass it on during the show uh, as available. And if something does happen over the weekend, we'll try and pop on and uh, give our viewers the uh, latest update on that. All right. So, uh, brief still- snippet, Joe, I want a brief snippet of good news, real quick. Oh, go right ahead. I'm sorry, um, you mentioned that. Yeah, something some really good, good, I think. All right. Steve Mongo McMichael has been officially elected to the NFL Hall of Fame, and he was All right. today. Wow. You know, as as many know, Mongo's fighting for his life with ALS, oh. and many believe that he's just holding on now just to see this through wow. and, and see his wow. you know his election and potentially is, be some really somehow news, part of the of, of the proceeding. So well, well you know, made me teary eyed when I when I heard that. And yeah, uh, yeah, you know, so he's been told and he's aware, he's aware enough to and, sure. and to really appreciate it. So I'm well, so happy for him well, and, and well, there's for, a silver lining on this fabulous Friday. And yeah, a, new, a new moon just transpired. So hopefully we're on the other side of things now. But uh yeah, right, real, real quickly again, I will say hello to everybody who's tuning in live in the chat. Thank you so much for joining us. Feel free to uh, chime in. Let us know real quickly. Let's uh, talk about steel cage matches. I did some research. Uh, let's educate the audience a little bit, folks. What do you think? So the first ever recorded steel cage match took place June 25th, 1937 in Atlanta, Georgia, as Jack Bloomfield defeated Count Petro Rossi. I'm not sure if I'm even saying that right. Is could I mean, it could be a that sounds right? Error, that was good. Check out that, check yeah, out I'll, that I'll cage. That. Yeah, wow. Look at the cage. Um, I can read this verbatim. Uh, this this article is from the Library of Congress. The records of the Atlanta Journal newspaper show that an innovative fight. They called it an innovative fight between two fierce men. Jack Bloomfield defeated Count Petro Rossi in a ring surrounded on all sides by a six foot high chicken wire fencing. It looks that's like what, a chicken. You're looking at right there, chicken looks wire. Like the octagon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. I mean I'm Early trying to look octagon. at the crowd. I'm trying to look at the the people there. I, I mean, they're. I'm trying to figure out this apparatus as I look at it. We're looking. We got the chicken wire going around the fence. We have these things. They look like they're tied to the turnbuckles or the ring posts. Uh, yeah, that's what it looks um, like. Is that what it looks like down there? And the, I guess these combatants come in. So. This kind of match, obviously, the ropes couldn't be used. This really was a cage match. Two guys went inside a cage-like apparatus. Jack Bloomfield and uh, Count Petro Rossi went into this apparatus and uh, did their business. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? That's crazy. Well, here's my question, though. Given given the style of wrestling back then, sure. what was the need for it? I mean, they weren't going to use it as a weapon. Yeah, that's, that's and they, like they really didn't. I mean, they didn't really bump a whole lot or take any, do any high spots. Yeah, I, I'm wondering what the the only thing I could think of is it prevented somebody else from coming in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I th- this is all the write up I can find on it is just saying this is the first recorded steel cage match, and they had to go back to the Library of Congress to dig this stuff out of the Atlanta Journal. So, pretty impressive. I, I'm not I'm not sure what the meeting. I mean, did these guys feud for years? I mean. As we all look at it nowadays, steel cage matches are the matches that um, end the feuds, right? It's the culmination of Blow off. three or four rounds of going at it. First match DQ, second match double count out, and boom, let's go to the cage. And uh, let's let's just be honest with what it is. It's a it's an attraction to attract people to get butts in seats. It's been always a promotional tactic. Phil, would you agree with that? 
Yeah, and you know, traditionally it's been used to uh, at the culmination of a feud, you know, really sure. when, uh, you know, usually several matches lead up to this, whether it be right. countouts, disqualifications, interferences, schmazes, and that sort of thing. So ultimately it's supposed to be the, the final nail in the coffin, if you will, uh, of a feud and usually of an emotionally charged feud. And, uh, you know, it even goes back in time before, you know, they had cages, they had something they called fence matches too, which were more like just wire fences rather crudely strewn around the ring. You know, right. I don't know how much they actually did to contain the combatants or to sure. keep the outside interference um, out of the picture. But uh, I know that the Sheik had a lot of that in his territory back in the yeah. day, but that looks actually for the time, it looks like a pretty cool construction. Pretty cool. You Look know? at the yeah. size of the ring itself too. Yeah. It's huge. My, my Very visually question. appealing. My question, Bruce, um, you're a mechanical guy. How do you think they assembled this thing? <laughs> I mean, piece by piece? I yeah, mean, it was, it was probably a bunch of a bunch of sections just putting it together. Right. They buy yeah, from they, yeah, 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 back then, Don't forget, back then, they were, they put things together a lot better than they do nowadays. Oh, that, that, is, true. that is true. It reminds me of, um, I don't know, when the circus used to come to town at the old Boston Garden, and you knew the Tigers were coming out because they would lower these cages from the, the top. Uh, kind of like that, how they do now in, the, uh, in most wrestling circuits. Um, the cage would descend from below, or sometimes they would come up out of the floor. But this, obviously, this being inside the ring, you would actually have to physically uh, put this thing together inside the ring. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. not getting lowered down like the modern ones. Yeah, that's for sure. So moving on. Okay, so this was the first one in 1937. The second recorded one was in September of 1942, where John Catan defeated Ignacio Martinez. There's a name in a six foot steel <laughs> high cage right? match. As these match stipulations started to spread north, um, second one was uh, Tita Montez was arguably the most uh, wrestler who have, um, dominated steel cage matches. He fought guys like Don Kent, Bearcat Wright, Don Arnold, um, and Kurt uh, Von Steiger. In over a decade, he had pretty much the most, uh, from what the internet says, the most amount of steel cage matches uh, in the 60s. So uh, then I dig up uh, this from 1969, the Sheik versus Bruno. As you can see, the steel cage is starting to change now. It's kind of like a steel mesh with wire. Um, the door looks like it's woven on by shoestring or something or rope <laughs> or something like that. This is taken at the old Boston yeah, Garden, by the way. Yeah. Um, you guys, Joe, my it? friend uh, sure. was actually there. I have yeah. a friend. He's an older guy from the gym, who, and I was asking him about that. Okay. He was actually there. It was it was a pretty bloody really? match. Of course, the yeah. sheik had some yeah, kind of sheik. weapon. I forget what he said he had. Of course, he had a weapon. And yep, ultimately, he thinks, that, he thinks that Bruno pinned him, too. Um, oh, I, I, I believe very so. rare. Yeah, yeah, very rare photo. It's the old Boston Garden. As you can see, the cage wasn't – well, the cage was about, what, I'd say 10 feet high maybe, tops, over over to the ring post, if you look at that, if you measure it. So that was yeah. a good – that's a good piece of steel for 1969 to be around the ring. And it looks like it's, it's linked onto the mat on the bottom. Uh, obviously, the ring posts play a huge role in all this. But again – when you look back on it, it's the day, it's the time of, you know, promotion, people, you know, the boring matches of yesteryear culminated with the steel cage. Um, obviously, the Sheik was a big blader back then. So, of course, there was blood involved and all that. Another one that was interesting, this is um, when the 70s rolled around, the WWF, 
uh, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, they started latching on to these cave matches. Now, get a load of this. 1974 was the first time that the Worldwide Wrestling Federation debuted their cage, which kind of looks like the cage from the 70s and 80s. And it was Captain Lou Albano versus Bruno San Martino. There you can see it now. Kind of looks, I know the pictures are tough. Uh, this is These are video images you can get on YouTube. Captain Lou Albano, I think he was known as Lou Albano then. It wasn't even captain yet. And yeah. he's fighting Bruno San Martino. And look at, if you can see on the right, I know it's kind of dark. But there's a lot of leeway there with the cage, so these they things had a lot weren't. Of give. Yes. Yeah, they, they, there was a there was a lot of give in that, which to me was. I mean, you can see the crowd is pretty far away from the ring. It's yeah. not like the ringside anymore because maybe, you know, these things weren't built to take that kind of punishment. Even though, you know, they're in there doing their business and all that stuff. But I, I thought that was a neat tidbit showing that where 1974. This is the first time that the WWWF, the then WWWF, used this type of fence type for a steel cage chain link, yeah. And you can see the poles in the middle. Um, so with that being said, to me, cage matches being in person was awesome. The, the, what was it like? Uh, for me at the old garden, I don't know if Bruce or Benny or uh, SO, I mean, uh, Phil could chime in on this. It took like a half an hour to set these things up. It sure did. You know, and you I, know, go ahead. Yeah, the first time I ever heard of a of a steel cage match was actually the show you went to, Joe. Okay, yep. in my mind's eye, as a little kid, yep. I thought of the chain link fence. I thought of actually sure. barbed wire going around the top for some reason, and I actually thought there it was like a hell in the cell with, you know, with a chain link roof and actually like with a hatch door. And right. in my mind's eye, I was wondering if these guys had to somehow climb up over the you know roof and then go in through that or out through the hatch door sure. oh, yeah. so i had no idea until i actually saw one live what it really looked like they didn't right. you know really show them on tv back then yeah it was uh it was like a bunch bruce um bruce you did it i know we'll get to everybody's favorite cage match that's another highlight we got coming up but what are your thoughts when you witnessed a cage match did you uh, in person did you see them put it together yeah, the only one I got to see live was actually Jimmy Snuka against the Honky Tonk Man, and they had it was after they had debuted the Blue Cage. Yeah, that in this instance they had it was because it was the B show or C show, so okay. they had the uh, they had the old fashioned uh, uh, regular uh, regular cage. It was uh, okay. it was quite interesting. It didn't seem as high, but it was pretty cool to see the uh, see Snuka uh, jump off the top bomb to the Honky Tonk Man. There you go. There you go. And one of the uh, interesting things here, over in the AWA, they had a similar cage right here. This is, uh, I want to say, late 70s, Crusher versus Nick Bockwinkle. There you can see this one, um, unlike the WWF or WWF back then, they just had, it looked like um, six 10-foot um, chain link fences. Because if you can see the top, it looks like they just built a fence around the, cage, around the mm -hmm. ring. There's nothing really securing it up top. And going back to what Phil said, um, I know I sound like a geek talking about this, no. but that barbed wire, that dingle rod, it was kind of like a wire rope that tried yeah. to keep the cage contained. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to see if I can explain it more. Sure. When on top of the cage, they had these holes in the corner and it, they would wrap this wire around. So the cage would just stay in place in the corners, even though they, they had the middle poles on each side of the ring and so forth. So, uh, every area of the country had their different versions of the cage, but one thing proved very profitable for pr promoters. They made money. They put butts in seats. Uh, you get the right two guys. Um, so with that being said, Benny, why don't you tell us about your first, uh, your favorite steel cage match, who the combatants were? 
Well, yeah, and I've never seen one in person. And before I tell you about my favorite one, sure. I found one uh, doing some research that I had okay. no idea about. Uh, sure. One of the earliest steel cage matches was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Yep. And it was uh, Tony Angelo. I don't know if anybody out there remembers uh, Tony, Tony Angelo. Angelo. He was actually Ivan Koloff's original manager oh, when wow. he came into the WWF in 1970, I think it was, yep. early 70. Okay. Yep. But uh, Tony Angelo defeated Frank Marconi on February 9th, 1954. And then uh, Marconi re retired, and he uh, he invented the uh, wireless radio. telegraph after that. Didn't he, Phil? <laughs> I think he invented the radio, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I think he did. I, I mean, let, me get, let me get this straight. Two Italians wrestled in Canada inside a cage. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it. But um, obviously, my my favorite, and it, it's not so much the match itself. It's the 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 build up to the match was Bruno sure. and Larry. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. a real life story. Everything about that story was real. I mean, you know, the, Bruno was Larry's mentor. Sure. Bruno was uh you know at, at i don't know 16 years old larry crawled under bruno's hedges and and uh you know actually introduced himself they trained together bruno made him go to college i mean etc etc and bruno got him started and yeah that was pure gold sure. so i mean just the the emotion and i don't know if you guys watched it live but when i watched the mad the exhibition on right. tv yep uh i think it was early 1980 yeah, I mean, by then yeah. I knew what the score was as far as wrestling goes, but I jumped out off the couch and I, I call Zabisco every name in the book, but oh, yeah. just and then the promos after that, Bruno calling Larry Judas. Yeah. I mean, it just was it, it was perfectly orchestrated. I've seen the old videos as well, and I, I want to say when Larry Zabisco was leaving the ring, wasn't that lady who wanted to get at him? Security had to hold her back, because yeah, you know it was TV wrestling. It was, about, yeah. it was TV wrestling at the time. You're talking about the incident where they had the scientific match on TV, and then he turned on the, ex Bruno. the exhibition. Yes, yeah, the ex and he hit him with the and chair. Larry, Larry clocked him with the chair, and Bruno, yeah, I, who I, Bruno I, was I a great that. wrestler, but a horrible blader. Right, and I, I <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, back when yeah, a chair I, shot meant something. Yeah, ex exactly. That, that chair had no give to it either. I mean, no, uh, that was real wooden stuff there too. Uh, all right, Bruce. You got a favorite cage match. Why don't you tell us about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Back in, uh, oh, I believe it was 1987. It would be Paul Orndorff against Hulk Hogan when they had the simultaneous, uh, they both simultaneously hit the floor at the same time and they had to restart the match. That was, uh, it was such a great gimmick. It was what it was the second cage match I had ever seen. And, uh, you know, I, I was so enamored and it was so cool. And, uh, you know, Paul, that was Paul Orndorff was one of my favorite wrestlers back in back in the day, and uh, I thought he had Hogan there, but hey, we know what happened. Yeah, that was a great ending too. They had the TV monitors stationed perfectly. Um, amazing both camera angles for both guys hitting the floor at the same time. Of course, that was my prediction for this year's Royal yeah. Rumble with Cody Rhodes <laughs> and CM Punk, but I guess that went a different route. But I uh, if yeah, that this happened though, Joe. If Punk had not gotten hurt, yeah, I, if they, I still I, think they called an audible. I mean, we, we, if you really want to get into that, I'm telling you right now, I don't think CM Punk's hurt. Uh, really? I, have my own, I have my own philosophy on this. Ooh, this lot, okay. I, I'll save it for later on, but um, I think I've talked to about 10 people today about this, and I have a feeling we're gonna we're in for a, more of a ride than what's actually taking place right now. You think The Rock was something? Something else is going to come down the pike, I have a feeling. so. All right, so nonetheless. By the way, get back to Bruce's cage match real quick. There's that infamous blue cage. Anybody a fan of this cage? 
It was the one I the one I grew up in. Uh, yeah, I, I figured that. <laughs> no, not a, no, not a fan per se. Not that I you know disliked the matches held in that cage, but uh, I actually saw Piper and Flair in '92 in Worcester, okay. a rematch back when they had cards one month after the other yep. in the cage in the Blue Shark cage. Really, Piper won the match. We were treated to a full moon by Ric Flair in the process, and. Uh, but it was actually pretty good because the cages were very secure at that time at the top. And Joe, you right. noted how back in the day it was just, you know, twined together kind of. Sure, yeah. But these cages, the shark cages were very solid and it allowed them both to be up top, straddling the cage, yeah. throwing haymakers, hooking their leg, kind of tilting off, hang, doing those spots where they're hanging by the leg. It was really pretty dramatic. You know, they took advantage of the cage and, right. you know, both Piper and Flair, very resourceful. And, and Piper ended up getting the Duke the night, that night. So it was worth it for the fans. So while you're at it, why don't you tell us your favorite steel cage match? What, what did you like? You know, I like this. Uh, uh, I like the MSG Snooka Morocco match for many oh, yeah. reasons. The, emotionally, they told great stories. Both of them yeah. could sell their asses off, you know? Sure. And both were very tight. A couple of island boys who really uh, trusted one another, respected one another. And right. uh, bloody, of course. And that's almost a prerequisite for a, a good cage Steel match. Cage match. Yeah, both yeah the, but both it was seen kind of almost team. as, yeah, the culmination of their feud. Sure. And what's notable is that it really served both men well. Because, as we know, the Magnificent Morocco won because right. Snuka did yeah. a flying headbutt, which knocked Morocco through the cage door. That's the bottom left of, picture right there. He had, yeah, right. preserving a great shot there too, Joe, yeah. preserving Morocco in victory. Sure. And of course we know that Snuka dragged him back into the ring and climbed up and actually hit the superfly splash, which right. is really what everyone came to see. So right. everyone left happy reputations yeah. intact and just, I'll tell you, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, they went to Boston with that steel cage match and we didn't get to see that. Um, yeah, we got the headbutt. Morocco fell out of the cage and all that. And that was the end of it. Everybody was very disappointed that night. Now, this is before cable. Well, we had the cable, but we didn't see the highlights of the Stuka Morocco cage match yet because uh, I think they were a couple of weeks apart. And I tell you, we were all disappointed because everybody came to see Snooker fly that night. And it yeah. happened in Boston. And fans, I think they rioted in some sections of the stadium that night. They I were believe very it. Upset. That they they were very upset that that didn't happen, um, but yeah, those cage matches. Um, speaking of uh, Snooker, obviously we'll go back to this one. This was Peter Backlund versus Snooker. Yeah, um, was just an incredible. My favorite favorite photo. Top left, Snooker on the cage. Look at the TV camera aiming at him. Backlund laying helpless. If you pick this up um, today, a wrestling magazine, you would think that Snooker won this match. Um, and I want to say that Snooker was cheered during this match. Sure. Um, this is one of the weirdest feuds I recall back in the WWF back then, uh, where Backlund was kind of nearing his run and Snooker was coming along. And, you know, he was the guy you love to hate. He was different. He was built. He had that. He had the fans, you know. I, I could see it happening. And, and again, Boston got robbed. We never got a snooker backland cage match. We got a couple yeah. of GQs. I think we got a Texas death match. And I want to say the year that um, the month that the snooker, uh, snooker backland match happened, we ended up getting Pedro versus snooker. 
for some that was uh, May of 1982, I think. Yeah, that was PWI's match of the year, and uh, and that, you're right though. When he climbed, you know, he climbed up to the the top rope, and then he heard of. To the top of the cage. The crowd went absolutely nuts. Yep, Bruce. No, I had read, or I think I heard Ric Flair stating in an interview that uh, that Snuka had been doing that since the late seventies, going off the top of the cage. But yeah, he may have, but there's no footage. I mean, this is like a huge deal. Someone has scaled the top of the cage, and you know, you. I think some of the old, you know, Backlund versus uh, Stan Hansen or Pat Patterson matches, there were battles on top of the cage, but yeah. everybody managed to get down or whatever and all that stuff. Uh, Snooker, Morocco. I, I think even the um, the Snooker. I mean, the Backlund Morocco cage match that I went to December every one. Morocco fell off the top of the cage, kind of fell off it, and snapped into the the ropes. Got his head stuck stuck in the ropes, and that made Backlund you know, walk out and win the match. Um, so they started incorporating that dangerous element even back then, not to the point where it is now, where you get like Edge and Christian jumping off the cage uh, and doing you know Matt Matt Hardy stuff. Bruce is probably a big fan of that attitude ever type cage match. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, I will say the tables, ladders, and chairs matches were were, were awesome, but the uh, oh, yeah. the hell in the cells. I don't know. They were a little bit brutal. You know, just watching. Uh, so I, I like see that. the chats lighting up, and I saw something in the chat which brings me to this. I'll, I'll tell everybody my favorite cage match in a second, but one of the ones that really caught me early on that I liked which I believe is a prelude to the hell in the cell because the NWA and Georgia Championship Wrestling was way behead their time, was this one, the last battle of Atlanta, Tommy Rich, Buzz Sawyer, with oh, yeah. Paul Ellering yeah. high above the uh, cage. Um, tell, me, tell, me I'm, tell me I'm wrong. Is this, the, is this a prelude to hell in the cell, an enclosed steel cage match? Yeah, really one of a kind, really, wasn't it? I mean, you couldn't even jump in the air, I don't think. I think some of the moves that were used in this match were actually – if you went to body slam your opponent, you actually jammed him into the top of the cage. So you it's like going to an place. indie show where they have chandeliers overhanging <laughs> the ring. I've seen that a few times. Oh, I'm sure you have. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously the wrestling freak that I was when I was younger, I saw that that magazine cover, and I, I bought that thing in two seconds. I think I still have it, Joe. Yep, it was <laughs> an amazing. If you know, Thank God for wrestling magazines back then because I didn't know this stuff existed until cable TV, and, and then you would get the real – the real stuff on this with, um, you know, the inside look at some of these matches. And it, Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer, I think for that whole year, I think it was February 84, that one. So most of 83, every day and night, it was Tommy Rich, Buzz Sawyer. Tommy Rich, Buzz Sawyer. They had a hell of a feud. They beat the crap out of each other in front of Gordon Soley a dozen times a night on Saturday night. It was an intense feud, and it culminated with this so-called last battle of Atlanta, what a title for uh, for a steel cage match! Last battle of Atlanta, and of course, if you head over to the World Class Championship Wrestling from Texas, we can always remember that infamous Christmas night cage match. Yeah, Gary uh, Von Erich and Ric Flair. Notice that type of cage, a little smaller. I feel like you could probably jump over this cage at some point from this angle. Michael Hayes, who was in there for some god knows why reason. Um, as a second alternate referee, I think was the storyline. Uh, he looks like he's taller than the cage there, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it, that's that's perspective. They all do really from that yeah. shot, an aerial shot. It looks like right. And I don't know what's wrapping the cage around if that, if that is barbed wire or you know heavy mesh wiring, but nonetheless, it's their cage was um, much smaller height wise. I'd probably legitimately say that's probably a good six foot high steel cage as opposed to the yeah, two, I would guess 15 that too. foot high. 
Benny, you remember this night, right? Christmas night. I sporadically watched WCCW, but this is the, this uh, is the night, if I can go back real quick, uh, with yeah, Tommy ahead, Rich, though, yeah. Tommy Rich figured in uh, one of the, to me, one of the most uh, memorable cage matches of all time was yeah. the uh, Austin Idol Jerry Lawler oh, uh, Memphis. hair versus yeah. hair match where yeah. John, uh, Tommy Rich was under the ring for about what six oh, hours yeah, drinking right. uh, a case of uh, Coors Light until wow. it came time for him to do his his spot. Yep. No, I hear you. W had a lot of memorable matches of every kind. Yeah. And Bruce, I don't know if you knew this, but this was Christmas night, world-class championship wrestling, Kerry Varnick versus Ric Flair uh, for the NWA title. And for some reason, Michael Hayes incorporated himself. Now, this is when the Freebirds were good up until the end of this match when uh, a very disgruntled Michael Hayes was trying to get Kerry Von Erich to pin Ric Flair because uh, the fix was in that the Freebirds were helping Kerry Von Erich win the title, and Kerry was doing the honorable thing and didn't want to do it. And that's the night that uh, Michael Hayes slammed the door on Von Erich, costing him the match and the title, and started that huge feud, as we all know today, as the Von Erichs versus the fabulous Freebirds. What do you guys think of that? But you know, you know, now you have like a whole staff of creative writers, and back then you just had like Fritz von Eric and maybe one other guy figuring this stuff out. Right, exactly. Exactly. What was that, what was that cage they had? The Triple Terror of Doom or something with, oh, uh, yeah. with Harry Gordy and and uh, oh, and Von Erichs. Uh, I forgot what it was. I just remember a vague recollection of, of watching that in, on on reruns on ESPN. Nice, nice. Um, my favorite match, my favorite steel cage match, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I loved going to see live steel cage matches. I've seen dozens of steel cage matches over the years, but my favorite match doesn't get a lot of notoriety. Um, but it was 1986, February of 86. It was, uh, Roddy Piper and Bruno San Martino. Now I never saw Bruno wrestle ever. Um, when I became a fan, he was kind of retired. He was an announcer, but then he came back for, uh, in 85, WrestleMania with David San Martino, but they started this little feud with Piper and uh, Bruno, which was great. And um, they had a series of at the garden culminating in a February 8th, 1986 cage match. Now, just a little backdrop on this. The match was held in Boston, at the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden. It was right after, literally a week after the Patriots lost the Super Bowl to the Super Bowl uh, champ, um, Chicago Bears. Uh, Bears. And Piper walked out into the cage wearing a Chicago Bears T-shirt, and he put a uh, put up a poster of um, William the Refrigerator Perry on one side and Jim McMahon on the other. Of course, just making the crowd irate. And here comes Bruno down, and I tell you, my ears started ringing like you've never. I could not believe the popularity of this wrestler who was basically over his prime. Um, I, I want to say he was well into his 50s at this point, close to 60s. And he was fighting this guy, this loudmouth Piper, who fresh off WrestleMania a year before. Um, they went in. They had this match. Bruno shoved the posters down his throat, up his ass. But what really stood out about this match was this blade job by Roddy Piper uh, was, I don't know what happened, but he must have bled out so bad. Because by the time this match ended, the ring was just covered in blood. Piper lost. Bruno actually hit him with a chair uh, getting out of the cage, uh, the wooden chair. And Bruno got out of the cage and won. But to me, that was just great storytelling at the time. He, You know, Piper was so good on the mic and so good just, uh, you know, to, to really get under the home crowd skin. 
fresh off a Super Bowl loss, less than a week. The Super Bowl was Sunday. The following Saturday, they had this cage match, and he comes out wearing a Bears jersey. This crowd just erupted. Was just they wanted him dead. And um, and, and in case you didn't know, the Bears trounced the Patriots back in '86, as we all know. But, Mongo uh, was on that team too. Mongo, I was just gonna say that Steve Absolutely. Mongo McMichael, the Super Bowl shuffle, all those yeah. guys. Um, but you know. Did you ever see anything like that, Bruce, back in the day, those matches at all? No, no, a little before my time, but I'm, I'm just checking out a, here in the chat. Uh, somebody's talking about Rikishi jumping off the, the cage onto Val Venus, how crazy that oh, one was. Yeah. yeah. Yep, later on. See, that was the norm after, after a while. We, you know, you got to go back to the era when we watched it and it was like, oh, my God, he's descending to the top top of the cage. I mean, we all know history now. Mick Foley was in attendance at the uh, Madison Square Garden when uh, Snooker Morocco went at it and he saw Snooker scale the, you know, that's when he wanted to become a wrestler. Yep. In his autobiography. And Tommy Dreamer as well. Yep. In his autobiography, it says that, he, you know, he told his, his parents thought he was off to college doing something. And really he was at uh, Madison Square Garden. He hitchhiked. Yeah. It was a feel good story. And, you know, this is what, how it was back then. We, we never, we, we couldn't imagine uh, cage match where somebody's actually going to do the unthinkable off the top, whether it's anybody else. I mean, I woozy seeing these guys, Backlund, Patterson, uh, Slaughter, they would fight on top of the cage. And I'm like, you know, and this gets me into another thing. I hate to jump around, but the rules were so different in the territories on steel cage matches. Growing up, me personally, there were only two ways to win a cage match. First one out the door or over the top. There were no pinfalls. There was nothing like that. You had to get out the door, touch the floor, or over the top and touch the floor. Yep. Somewhere along the line, things got crazy in the WWE and can, pinfalls. And referees weren't even allowed in the cage. Well, I can you know tell you, I mean? Joe, sure. things got crazy. We're, we're almost at Valentine's Day now. We're approaching Valentine's Day. And back in 1999 at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre... Yeah. Stone Cold and Mr. McMahon had a battle to determine yeah. who was going to go on. If Stone Cold won, he was going to go to WrestleMania yeah. and buy for the WWF. It was F, I won't say E, championship. Know, yeah. And we saw the debut of a seven foot, 500 pound monster named Paul White, yeah. who ended up coming, I think, through the mat. Did he come yeah. through the mat back then? Yeah, he came I, but he. He threw Austin through the fence, through yep. the cage, to victory, nonetheless. So it swung open. Dramatic. Things swung open, and I remember that. Yep. He went right through the wall. Yeah, he went right through the cage, swung open, and he fell and hit the floor, and that's how he won. And he, yep. But, but I'm trying to figure out NWA. Um, I go back to Starcade, Flair, Dusty Rhodes, pinfall inside the cage with a yeah. referee. Joe Frazier was the referee, I, I think, at that point. Um, Every territory had a different rule about the cage matches, and it kind of confused the hell out of me because I'm like, I grew up knowing that first one out the door or over the top wins. That's how yeah. the cage matches was. That's how it generated excitement. I get now you get the pinfalls, but you have another person in the ref. It's already an enclosed situation to begin with. Now you have a referee in there, which you know makes it even more smaller. Uh, anybody can chime in on this. What are your thoughts? What were your favorite well, types of rules for cage matches? Go ahead. You know, the, uh, back in the eight, mid-80s, 85, 86, it must have been 85 or before 86, Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard had their yeah. infamous I quit, I quit match, match I quit, within yeah. a steel cage. Right. And I don't know if one could escape the cage in that situation, but I do know 
that pinfalls did not count because I remember um, Magnum covering Tully or Tully covering Magnum and the ref just didn't count. Right. We all know how that ended. Quite yeah. That was a dramatic cage match in its own right. Sure. Yeah. Largely because we heard so much action and they were selling so well and you you heard the screams and the groans and certainly visually with all the blood loss, it was it was tremendous. And we can't forget Baby Doll at ringside back oh, yeah. then. Yep. Baby Doll who was just on Monty and the Pharaoh That's the other right. night and, and did quite well for herself. Yep. But dramatically out there with her white gloves on, just you know, covering her face in horror. Yeah. Classic match. The steel cage rules did not apply. Yeah. Magnum won ultimately with that wooden shard to Tully's yeah. forehead and eye. I quit. Is, I quit. I yeah, quit. very dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Really. And so that really that ranks up there too, but there a different go. kind of cage match. Sure. Benny, what do you think? What, what's your favorite kind of ending? Over the top, through the cage? Well, I tell you what. I mean, you just mentioned Magnum TA, so this is a perfect segue. So that that match was, uh, I think, November 28, 1985. Sure. Uh, flat, uh, moved forward about 11 months after Magnum's uh, car, car accident. Yep. And October 24th in Charlotte, 1986, was the uh, the birth of the superpowers. Dusty oh, and Vita, yeah. yeah. Beating Tully Blanchard and J.J. Dillon. Yep. But the, the emotion of the crowd when, when Nikita came into the ring. Oh, yeah. And I, I believe in the beginning of the match, uh, JJ and uh, uh, Oli both attacked um, Dusty. Yeah. And Nikita stood there for a minute and you're thinking like, wait a minute, is, is he going to, you know, is he going to go right back to being a, a heel? Yep. But like, you know, a couple of seconds later, that two seconds of pause was just so good. And then, you know, Nikita beat the crap out of Oli, kicked him out of the ring. Sure. And they did the, uh, I guess, the doomsday device kind of on uh, JJ where uh, 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 Nikita lifted him up and then Dusty did the elbow off the top rope and then they they exactly. bloodied him after that. But And then Nikita just stood up on the ropes and the crowd went absolutely nuts. Wow. And it was just one of the most emotional nights in the history of wrestling, actually. Because, sure. Oh, no, you know, I, 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 I Magnum was such a, a, a huge, huge uh, figure in it in the NWA, and I mean, what a tragedy it was when he got. Now, when he got all right. Bruce, what what are your thoughts? You like through the through the door, over the top, over the, over the top, uh, back in the day. I mean, how much of a dramatic exit was were Hulk Hogan's, you know, his wins in those steel cage matches? Uh, right. Always climbing over the top, and uh, that that was my youth. But then again, I also have to say, you know, the variation of the steel cage match. I used to love the War Games. The original War Games oh, yeah. was yeah. absolutely amazing. Yep, those those cage mat, that that's a unique thing. Two rings, two cages, or yeah. actually one big cage over two rings. But yeah, that that that's incredible. I mean, that's innovative. Um, the scaffold matches, we can go down the line there. Uh, the big one there with the what's it, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express or whatever going at it, Big Bubber and all them. Uh, Jim Cornette taking the bump off the top of the scaffold. Crazy, match. yeah. Over innovative and all that stuff. So it got very creative, steel cage match wise, but. I was never a big fan of the pinfall inside the cage. You can do that anywhere. You can have a pinfall in any type of match. It's almost the equivalent of, I don't know if you guys remember, like Backlund Morocco would fight in a Texas death match and, and, you know, anything counts. But when you go to pin the guy and he puts his foot on the rope, it doesn't count. Right. It's, it's like yeah. It's, it's yeah. a Texas death match. Does it really matter? You right. Know, the first rule of a Texas death match, there are no rules. There right? are no rules, right. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon used to say that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, all's fair in love and cage matches, you know. That type of stuff, but I just was never a fan of the pinfall. I love the element, the surprise, like you said, Bruce. Both feet hitting the floor with Hogan and Nordorf on Saturday night's main event. That was awesome, you know. 
uh, things like that. Um, the enclosed Last Battle of Atlanta, which obviously was a prelude to Hell in the Cell. The concept was there somehow, and the WWE just transcended it more with uh, you know Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker going from there and so forth. But you know, uh, let's let's go to modern day. We got it coming up two weeks in Perth, Australia. The Elimination Chamber. That is one hell of an apparatus. Enclosed steel cage or bar, whatever it is. It's a chamber, nonetheless, but it's it's still a very violent-looking apparatus. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Elimination Chamber. What do you guys think of that type of match? Like you said, it's a new, new variety of uh, off of an old of off of an old idea. I do enjoy the Elimination Chamber, the randomness of it, but uh, yeah, it's it's just a, the old cage matches were they were just so dynamic. I mean, it's, it, it's like hell in the cell. Hell in the cell is awesome. However, right. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't be there if we didn't have these legendary matches of the past. Yep. There you go. So and I want to say two things though. One sure. is that, you know, so many of the gimmick matches we loved when we were younger, the dog right. collar match, the Russian chain match. Uh, what else? The uh, Indian strat match, the, strat match. You know, the, the hair versus hair match, the loser leave town match. Russian All chain. that stuff is gone. But the steel cage is still here. It's okay. it's the one thing that survived the you know the test of time, sure. and the the cage itself though went from uh, you know the, the purpose of the steel cage was containment. Yep. And then after that, you know, back in the seventies with Bruno and and uh, Backlund, it actually became a weapon. You know, I yeah. mean, you throw the guy into the cage. Next thing you know, he's covered with blood. Exactly. And then now it's you know more for or you know actually Snuka made it into a device for a high spot. So it's kind sure. of evolved over yeah, the year it's definitely evolved it's definitely evolved and i'll just go by the old saying that steel cage matches make for great promotional um butts and seats type of element oh, yeah. where you want to get that crowd into the arena or stadium um i don't recall steel cage matches at like say high schools and all that do you guys ever recall that growing up did you ever see one in a very obscure location like oh, they were pretty much main arena right did. Bruce, did you ever see yeah. a steel cage match like a high school no. arena or an Aubrey no, or something? No, like that? no. Uh, we didn't I'm get a lot of ECW. Don't I'm not counting ECW now. <laughs> no, not until uh, yeah, not until later in the in the 90s you started to see that, but not back yeah. in the back in the classic eras like the the 80s and the 70s. Yeah, one thing I do recall is I want to say it was the night uh, Morocco and Snooker fought. Pat Patterson was uh, feuding with um, Ivan Koloff. Remember the uh, the little brawl, the, the little feud they had. And um, Ivan Koloff was just simply wrestling Pat Patterson and all that stuff. And back in the day, they would store the ring in the corner of the ringside area. So you really couldn't walk around the ring, so to speak. If you did, you'd have to step over the cage. And I remember Pat Patterson chasing Ivan Koloff around the ring. Ivan actually slipped, fell, hit his head on the cage, and boom, he's busted open. And now you have this regular... 10-minute prelim match, and now you got Ivan Koloff, bloody mess. Uh, just really cut open bad because he hit his head on the mesh, but tripping and falling over. It was the funniest thing. Like, you got a show before the show. That's um, hard way, man. Wow. That was, that was kind of neat. Um, real quickly <laughs> with the Stuka Morocco matches, I loved seeing Buddy Rogers. Uh, if you recall, they would take the trip around the cage to make sure everything was tight. Yeah. They would look at the height. They would sell it so good. Um, you got the crowd into a frenzy uh, doing that, and it was just incredible. It would just get that crowd. I remember Morocco pacing at Madison Square Garden, like, get in here, get in here, just really, you know, mind games and 
Buddy Rogers with him looking up. Like it was just great stuff back then. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I think we've uh, come to our crossroads here at seven o'clock, folks. We had a great. I want to thank again everybody for coming in the chat. Maria, Roger, the um, everybody that's been in here. Let me see. A loose candy was here. Uh, Beth Hopper, of course. Beth Hopper. Jay Will, awesome. Jay Will, thanks. Joe Myers in the house. Joe Myers <laughs> in the house. Oh, look, Phil DeCesare. Who's that guy? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so everybody, great <laughs> comments and Roger so forth. F. I'm still. I'm looking at the internet. I see Little nothing. Patty. I still see nothing new in regards to the story that topped us at the top of the hour. In case you just joined us, if you don't know, um, I'll just put the the graphic back up there. A developing Stormer pro wrestler has been taken into custody. And, and a shooting incident that took place yesterday in Portland, Oregon, or neighbor, the neighborhoods of Lenton, Oregon, right outside of Portland. Uh, there was a brief standoff. Tactical teams responded. After a two-hour standoff, uh, they took the suspect into custody, found one person deceased. And as of this hour, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern time, and I'll probably say 5 o'clock uh, Portland time, Still, nobody's been named. Nobody has been named as a suspect. They have not identified the deceased yet. Um, but all accounts, uh, eyewitness accounts and so forth, does claim to be that it is the former wrestler, pro wrestler, Billy Jack Haynes, who has uh, uh, been taken into custody for the alleged uh, homicide of his uh, wife, if that's even if they were married. Uh, they're saying they were married, but again, Guys, we talked about beginning out. We we have no confirmation yet as to who, what, where, and all that stuff. Real quick, closing thoughts. I'm thankful Billy Jack is alive. I'll say that first and foremost, that it wasn't a murder-suicide situation, regardless of the circumstances. Right. I'm glad that he didn't take his own life, and I hope that this was um, a case of either. And again, one thing we didn't consider, self-defense, you know? I know, how could an 80-something-year-old woman with all these infirmities pose a threat? I don't know. But I'm hoping it's that or, again, as we spe I speculated at least, or maybe we did, that it might be some kind of mercy situation. You know, who's to say? Uh, but I'm thankful at least Billy will be able to tell the story behind this at the very yeah. least and that he didn't take his own life, too. Danny, any last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it caps off a week of, I mean, an incredible amount of news. Yeah. In professional wrestling, between the ongoing saga of Vincent Kennedy and McMahon, yep. you know all all the twists and turns that are going on with WrestleMania, and now this. I mean, geez, right. unbelievable. Bruce, Bruce, last thoughts? No, just a, it's a it's a sad day to hear something like this, especially if someone we watched. Uh, well, I got to watch in my youth growing up, and uh, you know, let's let's hope it's that there's a uh, some type of positive uh, message out of this. It's it's just. Yes, I'm, I'm going to sit back and wait for more information to come out. Yep. And as uh, Bruce says, as more information becomes available, we'll pass it on here either on the Marty and Farrell Facebook, all social media handles, and as well as YouTube. Uh, but that's going to do it for us for Wrestling Remembered this week. I know we have a busy slate next week. We've got Monday, True Crime, the 30 on Thursday, my show on Wednesday, which has now been rebranded to What a Day with Joe Lowry. What's old is new again, folks. That's what it used to be called. So, so hey, Joe, let me just say a quick thanks to everybody out there. We have had oh, yeah. a record amount of people watch this show today. We've had over 240 people watch right. the show. Um, wow. Currently, there's about 30 to 40 people live in the uh, it, watching us. So thank you, guys. Thank, thank, you, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Hey, and this is what you get when you uh, when you tune into Marty and the Fire. We try to keep up to date. We do our shows. But if something's pressing and breaking, we'll give it to you because we know that we're just like you. We're a fan. We want to know what's going on as well. 
it will do to the best of our ability, uh, obviously with all our journalistic integrity intact and all that stuff. But uh, I think Monday uh, we might have some updates uh, with the Vince McMahon lawsuit. I think some stuff's coming down the pike. I'm not 100% sure yet, but there is some stuff on the back burner, uh, back burner that looks like that might be coming to fruition soon regarding uh, the Janelle Grant lawsuit. So we'll stay tuned for that. And of course, the 30 on Thursday nights, morning the Farrell Falls right after that. They had Baby Doll on. I don't know who the guests. Oh, Missy, Missy Beefcake, the girl I went to high school with. And oh, uh, Brutus, they're coming on, right? St. <laughs> Valentine's Day Massacre Thursday night at 8 yep. o'clock on the 30. And we'll be back here next week uh, with Wrestling Remembered. Um, I usually pick a topic over the weekend, so I'll be sure to get that to the guys and I'll let everybody know what it is. But until then, I hope everyone has a great Friday night. Enjoy the new moon. That's right. It's a new moon, folks. Oh. <laughs> oh. So I want to thank everybody for uh, all that good stuff. So thanks for watching. We'll see you next week, guys. Take care. Take what care. Peace.